0: As we do this, I got to share a season in my life when I probably wasn't living the healthiest, but I decided to make a big goal. I don't know if you've done this before, you've made this big goal or you had this big dream about being healthy, but when I was about 12 years younger than I am now, I won't tell you how old I was then, but just back up your vision of me 12 years ago. And I decided that I wanted to be able to bench press 300 pounds. This was a goal that I set for myself. Now to set the stage for what I was like 12 years ago, I weighed 185 pounds. Now, for someone my height in my build, that actually is very, very small, because just previous to this, I was playing college baseball, and I played at 205, which was very lean for me, even that. That was a lean 205. Now, the reason I lost all this weight was because I wasn't playing college baseball anymore, I was coaching college baseball, and I didn't have a lot of income coming in, and so my diet was very regimented, and it was very cheap. So every morning I got up, I had a bowl of generic cereal. Then for lunch, I had a can of soup with some crackers. And then at dinner, I had a can of soup with some crackers. And that was my meal day in and day out, week after week, month after month. And because I was eating this way, I quickly lost about 25 pounds. And one day when we were on a trip, we were playing some teams somewhere else out of state, I think, and we were stopping at a Burger King to eat dinner. One of my players came up to me And he said, coach, I didn't realize you were so small. Now, depending on who you are, you might perceive that comment differently, right? If you're somebody who enjoys being small, if someone says, hey, you look so petite, you look so small, you look so cute, you would maybe receive that as a compliment. I did not receive that as a compliment. And I vowed to never have someone say that to me again. And so when we got back home after the, the road trip, I got into my apartment, I got online, and I started researching how not to be small anymore. And so what I did was I researched one of the people I know not to be small, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so what I did was I took his diet and his exercise plan during his heyday, and I started living that out which means I was eating chicken, broccoli, and eggs, and protein powder, and that was all I was consuming. And I was spending two to three hours in the gym, and I hit two of my goals. I weighed 225 pounds within that year, and I could bench press 325 pounds. Now, as I've reflected on that, and I thought about how did I reach that goal, but I've missed so many other goals in my life, I realized that what really drove me in that moment of life is that I knew my why. I knew my motivation. And not only did I know my motivation, I had it in the front of my mind at all times. You see, probably like you, I have missed a lot of goals along my life journey. There's been a lot of times when very important things fell by the wayside because I forgot why I was doing them, or maybe I never had a real solid why to begin with. But in this situation, I had the why staring me right in the face because who did I have to see every day at practice? This very same player who told me I was looking small. So every day I had that reminder to keep working and keep eating right to get to the size that I wanted to get till I didn't have to see him anymore. And then, of course, I could do whatever I wanted after that point in time. But I had my why. And today we're going to dig into scripture and we're going to see how the combination of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we celebrate on this day of Pentecost and knowing our why as believers allows us to truly bring God's transformation into the the hearts and the lives of our community and our world. This is what Paul says. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. Now, once again, when we step into the book of 1 Corinthians, we're in the middle of a conversation between the Apostle Paul and this church in the city of Corinth. Now, the reason they're having this conversation is this church has become very unhealthy. It's really struggling. And one of the major reasons that it's struggling is because there was this mantra in, in this culture, this statement that they were starting to buy into. They were believing as individuals and they were bringing it into the church and it was doing a lot of damage. You see, the mantra was, all things are lawful for me, which meant they could do whatever they want as long as they did not perceive that it harmed somebody else, right? So if they could justify it, if they could manipulate it, if they could use intellectual gymnastics enough, then they could do almost anything. And because they were owning this philosophy and living out this philosophy, it was a very self-gratifying philosophy and a very self-damaging philosophy. And because Paul became aware of this, because Paul loved them, he was going to say something. And so he spoke to them. He wrote them this letter. And as they were reading it, it probably stopped them dead in their tracks when they read this word, free. Free. Free because this was the core of their hopes and dreams, their mantra, right? All things are lawful for me. They had this idea that they were actually becoming free by doing whatever they wanted, even though they were becoming enslaved by it. So when Paul says, I am free with respect to all, they were thinking, good. Paul is finally getting on board, right? Paul Paul is finally seeing the world the way that we see the world the way that we should see the world. He, He wants to talk about freedom, But as they looked closer, they probably realized very quickly that he actually wasn't talking about freedom to behave in any way. You see, his freedom was not about behavior. His freedom was about others. He starts off by saying, I am free in respect to all, all people. Now, why does he say this? Because Paul knew that there was one opinion in his life that truly matters, and that was the opinion of his king, Jesus Christ. And so because of that, he was free from the opinions of others, right? He could brush them off and not think about them. That was the freedom that Christ gave him, right? There was a freedom to only worry about what the king thought. But notice what Paul does despite that. He makes a choice. He says, even though I am free to all and I only have one king in my life, I am choosing to be a slave to everyone, In other words, he was concerned about what other people were concerned about. He actually cared about what other people cared about. He was concerned about their opinions and their thoughts and their feelings. Now, why did he do this? Well, he goes on to tell us, so he might win some. You see, Paul had this singular driving force of his life for most of his life that we read about in the Bible. He always had this force that was driving him that he wanted to honor God, that was his why. He always wanted to honor God. In fact, we see that even in the early days of his life when he wasn't a follower of Christ. Even though he was doing damage to believers, he thought he was honoring God. That was always his driving force. He thought Jesus was a false teacher. He thought believers were teaching people false things. And so he thought he was honoring God. That was his driving force. In fact, he was so driven by this that his goal was to eradicate Christianity including he would go as far as it took to do this, including killing people off. You see, sometimes as believers, sometimes as churches, sometimes as Christian preachers, teachers, pastors, sometimes we write these books, sometimes when we have Christian schools, we, we fall into this trap like Paul had. We have a pure motive, but our actions are misguided. That was what was going on with Paul. He, he had a pure motive, but his actions were misguided. So how do we make sure that our actions are not misguided, even though our our motive might be pure? Well, that's why we have scripture. We read in the Bible that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The only way to have our minds renewed and to know if our motivation is going, is driving us in the right direction is by being in tune with scripture. So what did Paul do? Did he open up the scripture and read the New Testament? No, that hadn't been written yet. Instead, he had a real encounter with the resurrected Christ who had ascended into heaven. And as Paul was traveling to Damascus, you probably remember this from Sunday school, he gets knocked off his horse and Jesus speaks to him and says, Paul, your motivation is good, but the direction is wrong. You're actually working against me. You're working against your king. And Paul changes everything. Because now Paul has his why, he has his motivation, And he has his what? The Great Commission. Now the next part is the question is, who is he going to reach? Well, he tells us, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so that I might win those under the law. So Paul, once again, he has his why. He wants to honor God. He has his what? He wants to share the good news of Jesus Christ and now he has his focus. He wants to talk to the Jewish people. Now, if you're a missionary or if you want to connect with somebody, if you just want to befriend somebody, what do you have to do? You have to care about what those people care about. Right, if you want to date somebody, get to know somebody, befriend somebody, if you want to have a conversation, a good conversation, you have to care about what they care about. And Paul knew this. And so when he was talking to the Jewish people, what did he do? He cared about what they cared about. He cared about their rules, their religious observances, their holidays, their diet. He cared about it all. Why did he do this? Because he knew that if he cared about what they cared about, then he would open the door to have a conversation about who he cared about. And this is what Paul did. When it came to the Jewish people, as long as he didn't have to compromise, he followed all the rules and did all the things that they did so that he could connect them to Jesus Christ. In fact, not only did he live this out, he taught others to do the same like he's teaching us to do the same today. He taught a young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy, his backstory is this. He had a Jewish mom and a Gentile dad. And because of this, he was not circumcised on the eighth day like all good Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day. And so when Timothy started spending time with Paul, Paul knew that Timothy would be a great pastor someday and a great missionary someday. And so I said, to Timothy, this is what we're gonna do. I don't want your reality to get in the way of your ministry to the Jewish people. So even though you don't have to, even though you've been baptized, even though this isn't important for your salvation or even your connection or your relationship with God, I want you to get circumcised because I will open up the door for you to speak to these Jewish people. Because if they see that you care about what they care about, then they will get to know who you care about. And Paul reached out to more people. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. Now, once again, he had his why. He wanted to honor God. His what was the Great Commission. Now, his who here is the Gentile people, which is, Everyone who's not Jewish, which is a a massive, massive box of people with different languages, different cultures, different preferences, different clothing styles, right? You name it, different diets, they had it. But what did Paul do when he encountered every different group of people? He cared about what they care about so he could open the door so they might care about who he cared about. And once again, he wasn't the only one doing this. He taught other people to do this. This time, it was a young man named Titus. Now, Titus had a Gentile mom and a Gentile dad, and he was getting a lot of pressure from the Jewish believers to be circumcised, to fit in, because they thought that was very, very important. But Paul actually gave him some different advice. He said, Titus, I don't want you to get circumcised because I want you to be a missionary to these Gentile people, and I want you to care about what they care about so they will care about the king. And Paul continues To the weak, I became weak so that I might win the weak. So now Paul has a new category weak people. Now, What he's not saying is that Paul went to the gym and he worked out all the time and there was this group of people who weren't very strong who didn't go to the gym and so he decided to only eat soup to drop weight so he could fit in. That's not what he's talking about even though I believe Paul probably would do that if they required that. But what he's saying is he's talking about people who are easily offended. People are easily offended by things that he is not offended by. And once again, Paul knew if he wanted to reach these people, he had to care about what they cared about so he could connect them to the one that he cared about. Now, if I were to take out just one section of our passage today and say, this is probably the most important thing for our modern day, it's probably this one. Because we live in a culture of offense. We live in a culture of offense. Everyone's offended by something And while one group of your friends might be offended by this, the other group is offended by the exact opposite and it's a very challenging place to live, isn't it? I don't know if you've experienced this this week, but you go into a store and you have your mask with you because that's what we do, right? We bring our mask with us. But now, before it was very clear what we're supposed to do, now we don't know what we're supposed to do and we're caught in this weird limbo. So we're looking around, don't wanna offend anyone, don't wanna make anyone upset. Do I wear the mask, do I not wear the mask? I'm not sure what the signs say. And it's just a very confusing thing. And I feel like our whole life is kind of like this. We have friends who are Republican, friends who are Democrat. We don't want to offend anyone. We're playing this dance and it's very challenging, but then we get together with our group of friends who are all like-minded because oftentimes that's what friends are. They're like-minded people because like attracts like. And we sit there and what do we do? Oftentimes, if we're honest, we make fun of the people who are offended by things that we don't understand why they're offended by these things. But what does Paul say? Paul says if you want to connect with people, you have to care about what they care about, even if what you think that they're offended by is silly. You have to get to know them and get to know where their heart is and what they think and what they believe. And if you care about what they care about, guess what that will do? It will open up the door so that once again, they can care about who you care about, they can care about your king. Now, Paul's gonna wrap this all up for a nice little bow for us. This is what he says. I become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might share in its blessings. You see, Paul kept his why always in the focus. His goal is very simple, to honor God and to connect people to Christ, connect people to his king. And what was Paul willing to do? Well, Paul was willing to do anything short of sinning or compromising himself for the glory of God. He was willing to connect with anyone and everyone to share Christ and to care about what they cared about, even if what they cared about he thought was silly or dumb or inconvenient or something he didn't like. That's what Paul was willing to. He was willing to sacrifice anything in his life to connect people with Jesus including his body this is what he says do you not know that in a race the runners all compete but only one receives the prize run in such a way that you might win it so paul switches gears here and he switches into this analogy of sport this analogy of running long distance now some of you i know love running long distance i don't understand that at all personally But, you know, good for you, it's great. I I love that you have something that you love, but I do understand what it takes to run long distance. I think everyone in the room understands this, right? Because this is a general principle. If you want to be successful at running long distance, what do you have to do? You have to train, you have to eat right, you have to register for the race, and then you have to run the race. But mixed into all that, what do you have to keep in focus? Your why right? You have to be motivated and stay motivated, because if you don't have that motivation, all three of those previous things, well, they'll fall apart or they won't happen. So Paul points this reality. Look at the runners. They're a great example, right? They train, they eat right, they get registered, and they keep their motivation up. They stay focused. And this is true of everything in life. Toss it into a different sport, toss it into the musical world, toss it into school, toss it into your business. If you want to be successful, you have to stay focused, hone your craft, treat your body well. You have to get moving in the right direction and stay motivated. This is true. And if this happens, this is what Paul says. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable one. You see, Paul knows what we know already because every two to four years we watch the Olympics and we marvel at these people who did what? They trained, they ate right, they registered, they got there, they won enough to get in line to maybe win a medal. They were motivated through the whole thing. And year after year, we celebrate these people. We have our own places where we work to do these things, right? We train up our kids, and, and we have them learn their sports and hone their craft, whatever it is, so they can win a certificate, a little trophy, a medal around their neck that cost 2 to $3 at the sporting goods store. Nothing has changed since Paul's day. Paul's day, they got this little wreath around their head that was going to fall apart in a week or two. Right, this is what they were competing for to have that moment of glory. And Paul's contrast is this if these people are gonna work is that hard for this momentary celebration and a, and a moment of applause and a memory that they'll have. How much more as believers? Should we train? Should we take care of ourselves? Should we get in the action and should we stay motivated? Because what we're doing matters not for just this moment or a moment of celebration. It matters forever because we are training and we are living to care for people who truly matter, real flesh and blood with a real eternity. So Paul closes with this. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. So because of this, what does Paul do? He controls his body. Now, why does he do this? Because he knows his body is the primary vehicle in which God has given him to bring the good news to the world. This is what Paul knows. But Paul also knows, Paul also knows what you know because you've experienced enough of life that your body's default setting is over here and you want to be over here. Right? The default setting of your body is sleep more, eat more, get addicted to things you shouldn't get addicted to, Right, Participate in, in things you shouldn't participate in. Spend too much time in leisure. That, that's the body's default setting. But what does Paul do? He enslaves it. He controls it. He doesn't want to be controlled by a body. He wants to do all these things on this side of the spectrum so he can accomplish his ultimate goal. You See, Paul was willing to do anything it took to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question that we have today is what are we willing to do for the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are we willing to give up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ? Could you trade your shake for a salad? Could you give up your beer if you're with somebody who struggles with alcoholism or has a history of that? Could you stop going to those movies if you're concerned about the person that you're with struggling because of the movie that you're watching together? Could you give up your guitar for an organ? Or could you give up your organ for a guitar? Could you give up your preferences in order that someone else might connect with Jesus Christ? What could you give up? About four to three years ago at this point in time, I was sitting down with our leadership team and we were having a conversation about the future of new life. At that point in time, Pastor Bill was getting ready to retire and they were saying, you know, you might be the fit. Let's have this conversation. I said, before we get there, I have to ask you a question. Before I decide that I'm gonna be a good fit here or you want me here, I have to ask you a question. What would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to do to have your grandchild, your son, your daughter, your spouse, sit next to you in church because they have a real thriving relationship with Jesus Christ? What would you be willing to do to guarantee that that would happen and ask them this question? And one after one after one after one, all 12 members of our leadership team had the same response. If we could guarantee that, if we could experience that, we would do absolutely anything which is the proper response because that's Paul's response he was willing to do absolutely anything for the cause of Christ and the reason it was Paul's response is because it was Christ's response wasn't it he looked down on us and saw our broken and our flawed, our unhealthy and our sickly and our sinful world and he could have just sat up there and said well that's too bad that's a real mess, we should just get rid of it Instead, he was willing to do anything. Came down, lived among us, experienced what we experienced, ended up on the cross to die for our sins, to bring health to our souls, to restore us. Christ was willing to do absolutely anything. And so, like Paul and like Jesus, we are called to do the same, to be willing to do, to do absolutely Anything To care about what other people care about, even if what they care about we think is silly or shouldn't matter or isn't important or isn't worth our time. Care about what they care about so in the end they will care about the one that we care about.